0: read um, all of chapter one and part of chapter two as well from verses 23 uh, through to 25 so you'll turn with me uh, to exodus uh, chapter one and i'm going to read from verse one these are the names of the sons of israel who came to egypt with jacob each with his household Reuben Simeon Levi and Judah Issachar Zebulun and Benjamin Dan and Naphtali Gad and Asher all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons Joseph was already in Egypt then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? and let the male children live. The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile but you shall let every daughter live. And on to chapter two, and reading from verse 23 to the end of the chapter. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham With Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew.
1: Well, good morning to you all. And uh, it's lovely to be with you and uh, sharing. Uh, with you God's Word, and we trust, uh, as we do that this morning, that uh, he will help us. So we're going to pray and ask God to do that. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to be here today to honor you, to glorify your name, and we pray that uh, we will do that through your Word, and uh, that you will be exalted, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting as you come to the Bible and as you start opening up the Scripture, uh, you begin, of course, with the first book uh, of the Bible, which is the book of Genesis. Then we get to Exodus. It's interesting how Genesis begins. Genesis begins with life and hope. Uh, There's a glorious world that has been created by a mighty God. And Adam and Eve can inhabit a, a truly remarkable garden. And see God's wonder portrayed in a matchless way. It's there. There's hope. uh, There's blessing. There's fellowship. There's communion with God. All there. That's where Genesis begins. But where does Genesis end? It ends in a coffin. It ends with the death of Joseph. And uh, where there was life, it seems, we have... Uh, This death. But even in the death of Joseph, there's still something being pointed up for the future. He says in uh, chapter 50 of Genesis, He says, I'm about to die. God will visit you and bring you up out of the land to the land that He swore to Abraham. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And Joseph died. So Joseph, expressing trust and faith in God, knew that there was going to be a better place and a better land. And even if it was only his bones that were taken up to inhabit that land, it was going to be a picture that the Hebrew people will be in a new place of liberty and freedom and grace and hope. So it begins with life. It ends in death, but a little pointer forward. The book of Exodus begins with death. We've been reading something of that as the Hebrew boys are to be killed. But it ends in chapter 40 with the very presence of God among his people. And so if Genesis is about a man, that is, Adam and his failure, by and large. Then Exodus is about a nation. And at the center of that, there's the action of a covenant-keeping holy God. And the book has deliverance as a key theme. There are other elements. But God is working out for the good of his people to bring them out of oppression into the land of hope and promise. And of course, this is the precursor in Exodus and this story. This is the precursor to the greatest covenant, to the greatest deliverance, and to the greatest hope that is extended. And however you look at this book, And however you come to this scripture, the terminus must be King Jesus. And when we finish today, that's where we're going to end up. Don't want to put a spoiler out there already. That's the spoiler, but what a spoiler. It's all about Jesus. And that's where we're going to go. And that's where I want to take you this morning. I want you to take you to King Jesus. And many of you know and love Christ as your Savior. And a fresh reminder of all that he's done for us is always timely and helpful. But maybe you sit in this service today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That whatever any service takes place in this church and in our church, it is to point men and women to Christ. And that's where I want to take you today. So here we are in the first couple of chapters of the book of Exodus. And as we speak and as we approach even this chapter, we're living in a world of war, aren't we? Nation invading other nations. Things are taking place. We hear of atrocities that are committed. And of course, we pray that peace would prevail. In some ways, Exodus is about a battle, but here it's a battle of man pitting his wits against God, against the Creator God. Pharaoh is the ruler of Egypt, and it's this king who is coming against God, and the question is being posed, well, who is going to win? God has made a covenant with Abraham. How is that beginning to look as we come to the book of Exodus? Well, it's beginning to look threatened. It's beginning to look as if it might disappear and dissipate. At the back of this human opposition, there's a recognition that God's enemy is Satan. So though we have Pharaoh, this king, behind this king, is the machinations and the plans of Satan himself out to destroy the purposes and the plans of God. And we can say today that that's exactly the same. When Jesus came, he sought to disrupt and destroy and stop. Now that Jesus has come and done what he has done, the devil is out to destroy the work of God and the purposes of God, and that is seen best in his church. And his design is to drag it down and to disrupt it and to spoil it. It's one of the message lines that Jesus left with his followers. He said this, they will put you out of the synagogues, indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Now it's not a great tagline to begin a day, that you might be taken out of the synagogue or the church and killed, and of course that's not going to happen to every Christian, but the the, the fact is that Jesus is saying that there will be opposition and there's going to be an enemy against the people of God. The opening verses of uh, this book that was just read to us list the 12 tribes. We have the sons. We have the outlining emergence of the nation as God's people. The people are growing in number, and they have their own identity, and they have a knowledge of God. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, it ends verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. It looks like the promise that was given to Abraham, remember it? Uh, Chapter 3, verse 16, as well as chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The years are passing... And we're beginning to see the growth of this nation and this people. He says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Or Genesis 15. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And these are now beginning to be seen. As the 70 were there in the land, they're growing and growing and growing and getting stronger every day. Now, just three things I want to kind of bring out of uh, this passage that was read to us, uh, that those that will read this book You have to remember that uh, here we have the writing of this narrative as uh, Moses tells us what happens. These are the books that the Hebrew people will have when they come into the land. These are the books that they're going to read. This is the truth that they're going to uh, have to their hand and to their heart and to their ear. What did God do for this people? What did God do for this nation? So there's a lot to learn as they read these opening verses, or they are read. The first thing is, in verses 8 to 14, that we have a day of trouble. There's a new king. There's a new pharaoh. And we're told that this pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. Joseph was the star of Egypt. Not always. He spent a little while in prison. But he came from the lowest to the highest. He was prime minister and there was no one like him. The people loved him. He was respected and revered. But now a new king has come. (coughs) The years have been passing. And this king, we're told, doesn't know Joseph or he chooses not to know Joseph. The history is all there. The books are written. There is no denying anything. But this Pharaoh decides that he won't know this Joseph. He doesn't want to know anything about him. This Pharaoh becomes concerned because he says the people of Israel are too many. He knows enough to know that these are the people of Israel. The people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. There is a government decision, legislation is passed, to make it more difficult for the non-Egyptians. And so it becomes hard for the people as they come under the taskmasters and they are... The oppression is being ramped up day in, day out. But of course, it doesn't impact. The growth keeps going on. The increase of the nation and the peoples become apparent. And so, the government has to go a step further, as they, there's this increasing subjugation and persecution. Of this uh, people group verse uh, 13 so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves made their lives bitter with hard service in in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field in all the work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves this is the language of the day Uh, we do complain a little bit about our government or any government um, but What about this? This is a day of trouble. This is a day of great hardship. This is a day of great question and concern. And what we learn is that these people are not exempt from struggle, pain, and challenge. And that would be the same for you and for me in that case. Some of those troubles and difficulties that we face today are because we live in a broken world. There are health issues. There are, those could be physical or mental. There is economic uncertainty. There are relationship difficulties. There's a whole host of things that are common to humanity and that which we have to face. And we're part of that. And we're certainly not exempt exempt from it. But there's also very clearly a spiritual challenge for the people of God. The enemy is out to disrupt, to discourage, and to destroy, and to stop the purposes of God being unfolded. But we also learn that in the face of struggle, God gives strength for the day. And we do well in praying for one another that our fellow believer be given strength and help to confront whatever they may be going through. Sometimes we want released from our troubles and our trials. But sometimes that's not the case. And for some people, there's a lifetime of struggle. And we need to pray for one another that we will have strength for the day. And that our love for God will grow and grow. But we also learn that our dependence is wholly upon God. Chapter 2 ends with the people crying out to God for help. And we're told there that God hears, and that God sees, and that God remembers. It is a powerful end to these opening chapters. But the trouble hasn't gone away. In fact, God is raising, and of course chapter 2 tells us that he's raising, he's raising a baby. The baby's called Moses. Moses. When does Moses come to take the people out? When he's 80. 80 years. That's how long they have to wait. They've been waiting a long time previous to that, but just because God makes a provision in the birth of the child, it's going to be generations before he actually comes. And even when he comes, it's going to get a whole lot worse before deliverance is experienced. But God hears, God sees, and God knows. And what we learn then is God is at the right, at the center of everything being faced here. It is a day of trouble, but the signature tune, the hallmark of the moment, is that God is here. Not obviously, but present. Sometimes we feel our lies that I've been reading through the book of Job at the moment, and Job just wishes he was dead. Where are you, God? And I know, God, you've done this. And that makes it even far more difficult for me, as he just vents his emotions and moment of pain. Where is God? Well, God's right there. And God's right here, and God's right with you today. King Jesus, ruling in our hearts and lives, enabling us in a day of trouble. But verses 15 to 19 is the second thing I want us to maybe just uh, give some thought to. That even though it's a day of trouble, we have a day of faith. Pharaoh goes now for the Terminator plan. Infanticide uh, is on the table. All the boys that are born are to be killed. This, of course, will in the long term have the consequence of nullifying God's promise to Abraham. Where's the promise? Where's the covenant? These are the questions that are being posed. The reader of this book will understand then I've got a covenant keeping God because he ensured that that covenant was not broken. But here in this moment, it looks dark and gloomy. And we have evil and wickedness at its most defined. The vulnerable in society are to be dispensed with. The edict goes out and the seriousness of the moment is noted in its repetition in verse 16 um, and in verse 22. Kill the Hebrew boys. It's despicable, isn't it? It's a terrible moment. In any nation's history... That this should be the law that is passed. But of course we see terrible things even up to this day. But the feature of this time is the fact that even though the edict goes out and it is underlined, it seems we have the faith of the midwives and we also have the faith, excuse me, of the mother and father of Moses. But here, in verses 15 and following of chapter 1, we have the midwives. The law is passed. The edict is given. It's the king himself that has spoken. But the midwives, verse 17, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded. The midwives refused to follow the law of the land as it's laid out. To some degree, they are putting their own lives at risk. But there's a moment when the rule of God must take precedence over the rule of humanity. Because they do as they do. (coughs) Not only are they protected, but they also have their own families. It is a remarkable little cameo story as uh, these two ladies, and they may well have been others. Uh, it does sound a little bit of a, an excuse, doesn't it? Um, when he says, well, why do you let them live? Verse 19, the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, they are very vigorous and give birth before the midwife. Come, I mean, who needs a midwife? Uh, they're totally redundant, because uh, the Hebrew women, it's, it's just sneeze, and it's all there. <laughs> sorry this this is a this is a man speaking who has no idea about these things but there it is we're not going to kill these children because they fear god that's the bottom line are they afraid of pharaoh they are afraid of pharaoh this is the king that can do anything he wants but they fear God more. Not a petrified fear quaking, but a recognition and a reverence for (coughs) what God has set in place and ordained as humanity is an important feature that he has created in his own image. And so they respond in the way that they do. They're showing what it is to trust God. (coughs) The question is, where is God? Well, he's not obvious, but they're trusting God. It's all against them. It's all against the people. It's a horrendous moment, but we're not going to kill the children. We can learn that there is a time when we obey God rather than men. What that might look like in our workplace, in our lifestyle, and general living may vary and may not always appear much. But if it does, then obedience to God is the primary demand. As we look at church history, uh, we come across leaders time and again that were of this mindset They will be lawbreakers because the law that has been passed is against God and against His Word. Of course, Scripture is very clear and encourages us to be law keepers. Paul writes to the church, listen, he says, be good civilians. Do everything that is required of you. And that, by and large, is what we will do. But we will not adhere to anything that would compromise what God has set and how we should be. Now, what does that look like? Very easy for me to say that standing up here in a country where, by and large, we know quite a bit of freedom. It will be very different if you're in the North Koreas of this world. What does it mean to stand? Well, in some places, you don't stand long. But whatever, we need to work it out. We need to work out that God's Word is primary and that's what we adhere to. We learn to live by faith, whatever the prevailing culture and conditions that are being faced. And there will, I think, be an increasing pressure upon the church to function in a particular way and to accede to the demands of the culture if they're going to be able to function. And there will be times when we're going to say, and there's the line and we're not going to cross it because this is about the gospel. You need to make sure that it's about the gospel. But if it's about the gospel, then this is where we are and this is where we will stand. So it is a day of trouble, but it is a day of faith. So let us live by faith, simply expressing gospel hope into a broken world and pointing to that which is better. That's what you do every day of your life as we set ourselves for another week, whatever that's going to look like. You as God's people, if you love Jesus Christ as your Savior, In some frail and feeble way, what we are doing is we're pointing to a better land and to a better place, and the fact that you meet here and we meet here, this moment is a very special moment in terms of reflecting the wonder and the wisdom and the glory of God here, this moment, and we point to something which is most glorious. And so we have a day of faith. But finally, (coughs) we have a day of hope. The edict is the last thing the chapter ends with. Chapter 1. Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The book began. How did it begin? It began with the naming of the sons, 12 sons. That's how it began. It now seems to end with the death of the sons, the boys. The girls are spared, but of course, the boys are the generators of the next generation in that sense. They are the, the seed, <coughs> excuse me, of, uh, of the tribes, of the people, of the nation, of the promise that God is giving. Chapter 2 begins with the birth of a son, and the question being posed is, what's going to happen to this boy? The last verse says, the boys are to be killed, a boy is born, it's a beautiful child. When I was born, my mother said that I looked like, uh, well, I won't tell you what what she said, But uh, I had a very, kind of, a bit of sprouted hair. Uh, yeah, every, uh, they say every baby's a, a, a lovely baby, isn't it? You know, oh, isn't it lovely? Well, yeah, my mother was stuck for words, I think. <laughs> Fortunately, it changed, and here I am. <laughs> but this is, a, this is a beautiful baby. This is a, a, a baby that seems to be fair and special. Well, of course, it's special to Moses' mum and dad, for sure. But is he going to live? Or is he going to die? And that's the dark and ominous moment that the people are facing. So these are challenging times. What's going to be the answer? But even in this darkness, there are little pointers to hope. The faith of the midwives, for a start off and the increase of the population continues, the saving of the boy children, all suggest that there is a little bit of hope ahead. And that becomes something evident in this moment, as uh, Moses is born, hidden away, but you can't hide it forever, and then the basket is made, and he's put into the river. It's a remarkable moment. It's not without its humor, but it's interesting, isn't it, that here Moses is placed into the river of death that becomes the river of life. It becomes deliverance. He is taken out. He becomes the picture of what he's going to be to the people. It's 80 years down the track, but he's going to be a deliverer. But Moses is delivered in this great salvation. The humour, of course, is that as he's placed there and as uh, the mother looks on and there's the sister and there's uh, Pharaoh's daughter comes down and does her bathing in the river and, uh, and then there's the child. And then the sister pops up. Well, you know, I can go and get one of the Hebrew women to look after (laughs) her. So, and uh, here, uh, you kind of wonder, do they all know what's going on here? But mother comes. And mother raises her son, paid for by the state, uh, a family allowance. That's what they used to call it, wasn't it? Um, And she gets the family allowance. But she gets to teach her child the things of God before he goes up to the palace. And we know that because we know what Moses did when he was up in the palace. That's for another day, but at this point in time, already there is hope on display. If not fully formed, it's there. I want to encourage you today that there's always hope. It doesn't look like it sometimes, Sometimes we're going through something so overwhelming that it's more than we can bear. It's a few years ago, uh, maybe about five or six, and uh, I had to stand down uh, within the church for a month. Um, at the time, I approached my elder and said, if I don't stand down, I probably won't last. Within the ministry, and so anyway, it, th- everything had got overwhelming for all sorts of reasons that I don't need to go into. But uh, at that point, it was very difficult. I remember within that moment, and in those weeks after, as I was just uh, trying to kind of get my head around things, um, that I was sitting one day just reading. I don't know what I was reading, and I just got a very strong sense that the people of God were praying for me. Now I had no text, nobody sent me a message, I never didn't get out a card. I'm still fuming about that, I didn't get the <laughs> card. But anyway, um, there was no card, no text, no phone call, nothing, absolutely nothing. But I just felt the people of God are praying. And I think God gives you those moments. It, you know, I think he gave it to me anyway because I needed something at that time. Just, and, and you know, it's an, an intangible thing. It's just a feeling. But I think it's something God honours. And just God gives because he knows his children. I was looking out in the back garden today. The birds are flying around. Didn't see one, but if a sparrow fell to the ground, there's a God in heaven who sees that. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> This is a massive world we live in with there oh, many, many birds and a little sparrow falls into a back garden and God knows. It's his world. And if God knows about the little sparrow, he knows about you today. And he's not forgotten you. And there is hope. We've established, as we finish this morning that God will always have an enemy, and that being the case, we as the church will know this deliberate, intentional and active opposition as hell pits its wits against God and everything about God. If the purposes of God appear to be threatened, as they do, then we continue to see that there is a greater picture of God's purposes and His deliverance. Because if back in Exodus there was an edict that all the baby boys should be killed, you fast forward many, many years and there's another edict given by another king in another country to kill all the baby boys. Herod is threatened, feels threatened, and so all the boys under two are to be killed in Bethlehem, and we read the story of Rachel crying, as it were, the terrible situation. Jesus is taken to safety. Where's the place of safety? Egypt. Not amazing. Bit of irony. <laughs> he he's he, he is taken to Egypt for a period of time where he is delivered. This is the great deliverer. This is the one above everybody. And of course, the devil will be out to stop him, do it in the temptation, do it in all sorts of ways as uh, Christ grows and uh, as he comes uh, to the fore. but Christ is given and Christ's purposes will be fulfilled and the cross will be seen. And so the purpose and the plan of God will be unveiled and it will ensure that we can be delivered from oppression and from slavery because of the great salvation that King Jesus gives. So, we started off with Joseph. He says, take my bones up. There's a better land. There's a land of rest. That's the picture. And there's a better land for you and for me. Not a piece of geography in this world, but heaven is for his people. And he's delivered his people now from sin and the consequences of that sin you if you're a child of god has been delivered from oppression and slavery and salvation is yours in christ jesus because of what has been done this is essential for us in the face of our culture and the nature of life and all of its uncertainty we will face trouble we will express faith but we will know hope let's pray and then we're going to have our closing hymn. Loving Heavenly Father, we do want to praise and thank you that uh, we can come before you today and honor your name. We pray that you'll enable us as uh, we sing praise and as uh, we converse one with another. We pray that preeminently we'll know King Jesus as our Deliverer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.